It's HPR, All Things Considered, and I'm Dave Lawrence. Today, an extraordinary guest on Off the Road, whose career is connected to some of the most important performers and songs ever in pop culture. From guitarist in the Stax Records house band to Booker T and the MGs, working closely with Otis Redding, Wilson Pickett, Isaac Hayes, Sam and Dave, three of the four Beatles, co-writer on massive songs like Sitting on the Dock of the Bay, In the Midnight Hour, Knock on Wood, and Green Onions, part of the house band selected by Bob Dylan himself for his epic 30th anniversary concert, just some of the achievements of guitarist, producer, songwriter, and music legend Steve Cropper. Steve just released Fire It Up, it's his latest solo album, and he joins us now to share some of the incredible stories. First and foremost, Steve, a gigantic aloha and mahalo, and thank you so much for doing this. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. My pleasure. Glad to do it. Where are you now, and is this where you've been since the pandemic started? Well, I'm uh, at my office at RCA, Nashville, the building that was built for Elvis in in 1964, and after he'd already made a couple movies and got real, real rich. (laughs) (laughs) Where I'm at is... uh, is the old mastering room of Chet Atkins, and this was his office for a long time. The studio itself, uh, there's an A, B, and a C. We're in C. B is now a museum off to the side, and the first session I did in Nashville was in Studio B. It's now a museum. And I drove up from Memphis, did a session, drove back. I don't even remember who we played on. So much history is connected to you, my brother. <laughs> like Otis Redding, for example. Oh. Share your first memories of getting to do that stuff and learn this craft that you're still putting out so well. Well, the thing about it, Otis was when I heard him sing for the first time, the hair on my arm literally stood up. No artist ever has ever been able to do that. So, you know, I've always waited that's not the only test. <laughs> they're either good or they're not good. But when Otis did, I said, oh, my God, you know, and I stopped him. He said, what's the matter? You don't like it? I said, no, I love it, man. I got to go get Jim Stewart, who owned the company. <laughs> and uh, he was in the control room and I I ran up there. and I just knew I was going to lose my job if this didn't work out. <laughs> I said, Jim, stop what you're doing. You got to come and hear this guy saying. And he said, Steve, what do you think you're doing? I said, Jim, stop, drop whatever you're doing and come and listen to this guy saying. You're not going to believe this. And he went down and heard him. He went, call the band back in. We got to put this down on tape. <laughs> That's how it all started. That's the first time I heard Otis. <laughs> Tell me about when you first got to hear sitting on the dock of the bay, Steve. Uh, boy, he called me from the airport, flew in, and he said, uh, I just want to check, make sure you were at the studio because we weren't going to record till the next day. And he said, I'm coming right down from the airport. I'm coming down and flew in on his own plane and called me as soon as he got to a phone. And to make sure I was there, he said, I've got a hit. I'm coming right down. So he walked in with his guitar out of a case, of course, like I always did, and started playing me the first verse. And I went, whoa, man, that is really good. And he started that song in Sausalito when he was out there. And uh, Al Jackson, our drummer, was out, and he said, I'm reading this book about stacks. And then there you're talking about how Dock of the Bay was started. He said, I stayed in that boathouse, Bill Graham's boathouse in Sausalito the week after Otis stayed there. And I said, that's where he started the song. <laughs> wow. Do you remember your last time seeing him? Yeah, I do. Unfortunately, <laughs> he popped his head in on a Friday and we cut that song uh, probably a week and a half, two weeks before on a session. That was, we thought, the best song we had written for the end of two weeks and he popped his head in and he says well i'll see you monday i said okay man and i was setting up to do the guitar licks so he never heard the guitar licks and never heard the waves and seagulls and all that stuff 
Man, such an insight into that. And uh, equally, Wilson Pickett in the Midnight Hour, such a massive classic you co-wrote with him. I remember the Jim Stewart and I picked up him and Jerry Wexler at the airport. We checked him into the hotel and Jerry says, well, Jim and I are going to go off and have a meeting. You guys just start writing. Okay, <laughs> what are you going to do? We looked at each other like, what? Start writing. So I'd had this idea in the Midnight Hour based on some some old gospel songs that he had sang on. And I didn't know anything about Wilson Ticket. I really didn't. So I had to get an education. Jerry came back from dinner with Jim and said, I just want to check on you. You got to see if you got anything. We played him in the Midnight Hour and don't fight it. He said, whoa. <laughs> he said, keep that. you just keep writing. And so we wrote one more song, I'm Not Tired. We wrote three that night, cut all three the next day. All three went up the charts. And as if co-writing and playing on In the Midnight Hour and sitting on the dock of the bay wasn't enough, you're not only playing on the Sam and Dave classic Soul Man, but you're mentioned in it, the famous line, play it, Steve. <laughs> I'm glad he did. He probably, he probably hates himself for kicking himself for it. Anyway, uh, the day before the session of Sam and Dave, Isaac comes back. Isaac Hayes. And I was logging tapes or mixing. I don't know what I was doing. He said, Cropper, I hate to bother you. I know you don't want to be bothered when you're doing something. But uh, he said, I know that David and I, David Porter, and I have written a hit for tomorrow's session for Sam and Dave. He said, but I can't come up with an intro. And I was sort of known at Stax as an intro guy. And he said, get your guitar, come down to the piano. And I said, I did. And I'm hooking up a guitar. And I said, well, play some changes. He said, well, just play me something. I said, no, you play me some changes. And that's, I started playing those, what we call hammer licks, that intro. And he just played some changes, and that's what I played on it. He said, man, that sounds great. Let's use that. And I'll regress a little bit. Why Sam said play it, Steve, I had no idea. It was about the third take, and it just happened to be the best take, and that's the one we used. Years later, you're playing with the Blues Brothers, John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> and John does the same thing. He also says that, too. Take us to first getting that gig. <laughs> that's, a, that's a loaded question. But uh, he made people aware of Donald Duck Dunn and Steve Cropper. <laughs> so uh, somebody asked me recently, what do you want on your tombstone? And I said, pray it, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> so how did I get into Blues Brothers Band? I would have to say the, one, the story that I have is John Belushi heard Levon Helm and us play the Palladium New Year's Eve, and he happened to be there. And he made a comment to somebody, and they told me, and I wish I could remember who it was. He said, if I ever put a band together, I want that band. Well, he got almost that band. And Tom Malone was in that band, and Lou Marini, and Alan Rubin, and so forth. So Tom, the trombone player, wound up being the director of the Saturday Night Live band. So when Steve Martin asked John and Danny to open these shows for him, he was doing nine shows at the Universal Amphitheater during the summer. They were on hiatus anyway. John says... You know, we don't do stand-up comedy. And Steve Martin says, I don't care what you do. And John says, can we play music? He said, sure, if you want to. That's when he decided to put the band together. And he started remembering that time. And so he goes with Tom Malone and he said, uh, Tom, he said, I've got these gigs we have to open for Steve Martin. And Steve was a writer. His connection to Saturday Night Live was he was a writer for Saturday Night Live for a long time. And then he had that hit record, King Tut. This is on radio, King Tut. Right, and right. It, yeah. And so uh, Belushi asked Tom, he said, we've got open for these shows. Should we take the whole Saturday Night Live band? And Tom at the time said, you better get done and Cropper because they're old road dogs. And we had done two world tours with Levon Helm and that band in the horns, the Saturday Night Live horns. And that's how we got in there. And I remember him calling me. I was working on a Robin Ford's album, mixing it. 
and I had about three songs left. And uh, he called me, and and nobody, I, the Swiss board had their orders. If I'm mixing, you do not disturb me. So that's, that's what we did. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought about I said, there's only one guy, a friend of mine, worked at the publishing company. And he'd call and say he was Stevie Wonder, or he was the president, or this, that, and the other. And so when they said, John Belushi's on the phone for you, I just picked it up and said, hi. And so I hung up. And I did that twice. And about the third time, Belushi said, he said, Cropper, don't hang up. Don't hang up. It's really John Belushi. <laughs> he said, I need you up here right away. I said, I can't get up there. I'm in the middle of mixing an album. I remember Robin Ford after I hung up. He said, who are you talking to? I said, John Belushi. He wants me to come and rehearse with the band and open these shows for him. And, and Robin says, well, I'll do it. And I said, no, you won't. <laughs> I called John back and I said, if you can wait two or three days, I'll be up there. And uh, so I made a deal with my engineer at the time, Bruce Robb, and I said, can you finish mixing these last two tracks and let me hear them over the phone or whatever? He said, absolutely. So that's what we did. So I went to New York and rehearsed with him, and we came back to L.A. and did the, did the show. That started it. And I don't think there would have ever been a movie had that album not done so well, Briefcase Full of Blues. Yeah, yeah. It did uh, $3 million at the time, and it's gone over four now, but uh, it did about $3 million. That's triple platinum, by the way. It's music legend Steve Cropper, and join us here tomorrow for the conclusion. Find this and the entire series at hawaiipublicradio.org. Subscribe to Off the Road on Apple, Google, and Spotify podcasts, and look for it on our app. I'm Dave Lawrence.